This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's film study once again. We're going to look back at the tough loss in Kansas City, the week three loss. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. Uh, I had a good weekend, and uh, hey, now we get to look real deep at the defense, and that seemed to be a struggle on uh, Sunday, so it'll be good to dig into that. And uh, for that, we're going to bring Dev on board again. Dev, it's been a while. It has. A uh, good game for us to I guess, come together again. Uh, looking forward to diving into the game with you guys. There's a lot to, uh, dis- to dissect. So uh, how are you guys doing? I'm doing okay here, Dev. What's, where are you in the five stages of, uh, you know, grief as far as we're going through this? <laughs> I'm always, I tend to always get all the way to the end to acceptance. It takes, it doesn't take me too long. Uh, I think I had, the game kind of matched up with what I was expecting beforehand. So yeah, I thought it was going to be a tough game. I thought they were going to give the Kansas City Chiefs quite uh, a test and, and battle them throughout. And it came down to, you know, fourth quarter. So I think it matched up with what I was anticipating. So I, I don't think I'm in the state of depression where I think a lot of people probably are at still mm-hmm. today. But what about yourself? I, I think I'm past anger and depression. Uh, and I don't think I really ever get to a denial stage on this. But the bargaining is kind of my analysis stage where I kind of yeah. – Resoothe myself again, get myself used to what's going on, and and uh, and get that. So I have to try and find what was good about this, or I'm trying to think maybe the bargaining is when I'm watching the four o'clock and nine o'clock games and hoping the Steelers and Browns lose. So either way, I'm I'm past it. So let's talk a little football here. Um, I want to start in this game with some of the defensive packages that the Ravens played because I thought the mix of stuff was very interesting. Is very much reactionary to the personnel the Chiefs put on the field. And basically, the base package, the Ravens hardly play it anymore. They played it six times against Miami. They played it once in this game against Kansas City, zero times against the Cardinals, who always play that 10 personnel package. But, you know, that's it's just a dying defense in the NFL to play base anymore. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and that's a good, I mean, that's an interesting observation. Their base has now turned into some sort of hybrid of a, a big nickel with third safety playing on playing, which we saw in the first drive. But yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because the first two of the first three games are against teams that had heavy spread and heavy wide receiver uh, influenced packages. So I think they like, to your point, we're ready for that. And um, the, the Cardinals were a good, I think uh, almost a, a good scrimmage or ramp up to the chiefs <laughs> in, that, in that respect. Yeah, I, I know what you mean there because they, they only play a tight end on a little bit less than half the snaps at all, so you're getting four wide receivers a lot. So they played, a, they played a dime package in there that had four corners. This time it was big nickel whenever the Chiefs went to their 12 personnel. So, of course, mm-hmm. the defense gets to put in second. When they put in 12 personnel, they put in Blake Bell. I think it's Blake Bell, right? 
Am I right? Anyway, Bell and Kelsey in the game together. And right. then they, they, the Ravens would go to Big Nickel and put Chuck Clark on the field as a slot corner, usually covering covering Kelsey in that slot. They had 21 snaps of that, which is a lot. That might have been more than they had all last season at it. Uh, and they did pretty well in that defense, only 5.6 yards per play for the Chiefs in that. When you can hold the Chiefs to 5.6 yards per play, whether they're running or passing, that's pretty good. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that they held their own, and it's something I wanted to see more of starting in this game. I was curious to see if they, they would just start to go with more of those looks to counter, especially in this game with Kelsey, right? Like, you mm-hmm. needed to figure out a way to get a, a guy on the field, whether it was Clark, whether it was Elliott, whether it was Levine, who was going to be able to handle one-on-one coverage but also give you some support against the run. It's a tough, it's a tough task. It's a tough, tough ask. But I liked the way that they played in that defense to match up with the Chiefs. But as we'll talk about, the Chiefs adjusted as well. Yeah, so Clark, I thought, was effective in, in coverage and run support and a lot of the things he did. And obviously that's borne out in the, in the yards per play, not necessarily directly in terms of his own personal play. But the standard nickel was the Ravens' response to the three wide receiver set. And let's just go over this again. You've got five eligible receivers to assign. The Chiefs almost play exclusively one back. And when I say that, they might have a guy in the backfield, but it's almost always a tight end that lines up there. They don't have a fullback who's lined up, who's who's on the roster to be just a fullback. So what the personnel that the Chiefs are putting on the field is always some combination of four between wide receivers and tight ends. So it can be three wide receivers and one tight end, which means it's Kelsey only, or it could be two wide receivers and two tight ends, meaning it's two wide receivers and Kelsey and Bell. So we covered the, the two and two, but when it was three and one, the Ravens played their standard nickel, which means they put a third cornerback on the field to play that slot, and they gave up 313 yards on 27 plays, 11.6 yards per play. So that's a really, really bad outing for the nickel. Yeah, and, and that's the big difference, right? So they were able to handle the two tight ends and have the package that can match up. But the speed, and here's the thing that can really stood out to me, not just the speed, but how they spread the field. It was even splits. So that means you had receivers evenly spread across the line of scrimmage. You didn't have too many offsets where you had three receivers to one side or any, anything like that. The Chiefs just said, we're going to spread you horizontally with our speed, and we're going to run against your defensive backs and see how they can – catch up with us or, or, or handle it. So that was the game. And they they just ended up having the checkmate with that with that approach, I think, really. It blew the game open. And the, the Ravens couldn't they couldn't keep up. Not only could they not keep up with with the, the personnel that the Chiefs had, but of course they obviously the lack of depth started to creep up. And I think yeah. when you're down to you know Kennedy, when you're down to these guys at the bottom of the depth chart, it shows up. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, actually, I thought Kennedy played very well, but Averett had a very tough first half, and that's when the Chiefs did most of their damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a you know, breakdown on the back end where uh, Thomas was not in position on the 83-yard play. We had another uh, case where Carr was beaten for a touchdown. It was a relatively moderate length, might have been 18 yards, but uh, you know, athletic play by a wide receiver and a tough, tough ask for him to cover him. Uh, see, anyway, you had a lot of breakdowns in that in that first half primarily. I thought when they got Kennedy on the field and when they got Humphrey back on the field full time, 
then they had a pretty much more stout pass defense in the second half. I guess you don't want to really be a stout pass defense. You know, and the, the interesting thing is, and it, this is kind of like the proverbial, well, if you take the 80-yard touchdown out by Harden, it wouldn't be bad. I'm going to go there a little bit in the sense that I think there's a lot of scrutiny and there should be on Earl Thomas and, his, and stuff he said before this game about we're going to eliminate the big plays. If you look at this with the microscope, they really didn't get crushed on the big 40-yard-plus gains. It, it, it did come down to that Hardman bust, and it's unfortunate. It looks like there was a communication issue on the back end. But they they did a decent job of not going giving up too many crazy plays over the top. I know people don't want to hear that <laughs> right now, but it's the truth. And so to your point, I think they did adjust. You lose Humphrey, that's a tough blow. They did adjust in the second half. They got some stops, and I think they made some plays. And they, they really should have had a couple more plays that actually counted for them because of uh, you know penalties not working for them. Right. When you go back to that second half, they really only had three plays, three pass plays of 14-plus yards that they allowed. In fact, those are the only ones over about eight. One was the 36-yard play that right, went right through Owasso's hands, and we need to talk about that a little later because that was unacceptable. That was one of the turnovers they should have had. Right. And they had the 14-yard the touchdown to McCoy on the screen pass, which was minus 5, plus 19, seven-man blitz. They threw it to the left side. I don't know how he got – some of this I have to attribute to luck because it wasn't just a matter of the Ravens completely ignored the blitz. They, they weren't positioned for it. But it's also fairly lucky when you have everybody coming at the quarterback and he still has that, that ideal rush lane – or sorry, the passing lane to get the ball to McCoy in that situation. You know, it somebody, also, somebody, helps, also helps that Patrick Nwasu basically got tackled from the bottom <laughs> that play. <laughs> I think they're a guard or something, but yeah, there's some luck. There was, I thought there were going to be more batted passes, for example, the guys that right. get their hands up when they had a clear lane. Those are things they've got to get straightened out for the coming game because uh, they had some opportunities to really make it difficult for Mahomes. And granted, he's great, uh, but those are just some some football IQ mistakes that they made in this game. Uh, and the scheme was f- phenomenal. I had a couple of notes here just in terms of that. That screen, for example, was so well designed because uh, you had Hardman, I think, on a, on a fake screen action that pulled the defense over. So they always had some sort of uh, secondary action. There was always two things going on at once on these plays. It wasn't easy, but to your point, uh, you need a little bit of luck for those things to break the exact time that it did. And it, it, worked, it worked out. For the right. Yeah, so for, for so many years, we've been used to very savvy players like Mosley and Suggs sniffing those out and, you know, always waiting. Me, no, 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 no. I see what you're doing. And and being in the right place to, to bat the pass down, forcing a lot of grounded passes over the years mm-hmm. to see them get two really critical ones in a short period of plays. I mean, it might have only been in about a 15 play stretch of that second half. Uh, that they just about that where they where they got those two plays, including the game ceiling, 16 yard screen, which is a backbreaker with nine yards to go, that you can't stop a team that's not really willing to take a chance down the field with the football. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not good situational football at that point. Like what what are you? I mean, the screen has to be considered. This is an Andy Reid team too. If you just, I mean, it had to have been brought up during game planning and the, the leading up to this week. So. They just lost, I think, uh, they, they kind of lost their, their sense of what what types of plays could be run in that situation. And it gets back to a lot of the 
pre-snap movement and a lot of that post-snap secondary action that I think just really got the defense out of sorts. Guys were out of position, and it made things a lot easier for the Chiefs. To your point, the Ravens missed some of those astute guys that could, could really understand what's coming from a situational football standpoint. And maybe if a couple of guys make a couple of mistakes, they could still overcome that because you had like a Mosley or Weddle that could sniff it out and right. attack. Or, or even even slow the play down sometimes to allow the pursuit to show up. You or know, that. You, you misdiagnose oh. it. Somebody somebody gets hit. They miss the tackle, but it's not really a bad missed tackle because they spend an extra second getting started, and then you've got to you got to stop that. You get done. A couple more points I just want to make about the about the defensive packages. Then let's get moving on here. Is that I think the Chiefs were kind of really doing the Ravens a favor when they put two tight ends in the game here. Uh, I think it shows up in the stats, but Bell really isn't much of a threat, and they were much more effective when they had more speed on the field, particularly in that second quarter to really take advantage of the Ravens' depleted secondary when they didn't have Humphrey in the game. So, Yeah, and I think just to add to that, I think they may have uh, gone back to the Cardinals' playbook a little bit and just said, you know what, that's what worked last week. We can do it, we, we can do it better, frankly. I mean, if the <laughs> Cardinals have Christian Kirk, I mean, no knock on him, but if Christian Kirk kind of lighting it up, uh, that the Chiefs, I thought, made the right move and just really put the Ravens in a bind with that widespread almost all go we're going to just run routes we're going to run go routes down the field and that's the guys that they have hardman mm-hmm. uh, robinson they can take the top off right offense needs speed needs needs speed needs space and they had them both in this game that's for sure and the, the, the lineup that you're talking about the, the way they spaced them on the field certainly provided additional room also for extended play opportunities i thought so you know, they had some of that in terms of uh, a lot of that does end up being Kelsey that he looks to secondarily in the target, but uh, it, it certainly can be other guys. He's receivers. They targeted 18 times, uh, 11.7 yards per target on those wide receivers. So obviously a big game for, for Mahomes in this case. That's not yards per reception. Uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. All right, so let's take a moment now and talk about another thing that's that's been troubling me about this defense is what's going on at outside linebacker. And obviously, they had five guys active at outside linebacker for the first time. So Ferguson had his first activity, only nine snaps. But what still is a little bothersome is they're not rotating their snaps particularly well. McPhee, 51 snaps in this game, which you know is something I know we talked about before the season started, Dev, is that McPhee really can't play that many snaps. Yeah, he can't can't unfortunately play play that many snaps, and it would be great if he could. But he just has shown durability issues in the past, and is quite frankly just more effective as a rusher for sure when he's on limited snap count. Uh, I think what's going on right now is there's just a lack of trust that the coaches have in Tim Williams and Bowser and Ferguson. So you're seeing McPhee's snap count just elevated especially in a game like this against a Kansas City team in which you just want a guy out there that understands you know, how, to, how to set the edge or understands how to you know, run some stunts inside. So there's a lot of things he brings to the table. But what's going on now is you're running the risk of wearing him down all the way. So they're going to have to figure something out um, with Tim Williams and Bowser. And, and just when you look at Tim Williams, uh, 13 snaps is just not enough for him to get going as a pass rusher. Um, I know there's other things that he holds the team back on 
especially on the edges in terms of his, his ability to play the play the run. But just as a pure pass rusher, you've got to get him more snaps to get him some momentum. Yeah, they, they talked about where they need to get all these snaps for the years because they last year they used about 2.3 total outside linebackers per play. And that, however you slice it, even if you start off with Judon getting slightly over 70% of the snaps, you really are talking about a 40% contribution from the other guys on average each. And it's just, I don't know that McPhee can do that over the course of a whole season, play 40% of the snaps. He hasn't in several years. So right. it's, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be difficult. You know, looking at the other outings here, Bowser is the guy I think obviously needs to pick up more snaps based on who he is. Maybe he's not getting enough pressure. Maybe they don't like that. Maybe they don't like the way he sets the edge. But, you know, part of what he brings you is some coverage flexibility. So I mean, use what you've got in terms of the players you have and get those snaps a little bit better aligned. McPhee didn't play well in this game, by the way. That's another problem I have with the 51 snaps he did play. He only had two pressures, negated a lot of his pass rush value with a with a roughing the passer penalty that – might have been a ticky-tack foul, but anyway, he didn't do that much in terms of pressure to undo. So it just wasn't that good a game. Certainly not nearly as good as he's played the first two weeks. So I just I look for more of this and, and uh, you know, was sad not to see it. You know, one thing that stood out to me is if you have McPhee on the field more often, why aren't you running more line games? Why aren't you running more stunts? Yeah tackle end stuff because uh if you look at this four-man pressure a lot of it was a byproduct of what the chiefs were doing and we touched on the spreading of the field but that also creates a situation where you're having to rely more on your four-man and five-man fronts to get pressure but you know i'm surprised because this is something wink has used and and utilized a lot last season it's a strength of mcbees as a guy that can go and you can he can run those exchanges and I think he and Judon would be really good at it. So any thoughts on that? Because I, I expected to see more of that in this game in particular. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think you even need to use Judon. I think you can keep him for a separate one-on-one. The tackles are very weak in this game. But you could play tackle end, you know, certainly with uh, McPhee. And you can run a linebacker off his rear end. Or you can, or you can use a, uh, you know, the outside guy when McPhee is inside, whether that's Bowser, Williams, Ferguson, whoever it might be. But McPhee right. is always the inside guy in their package. But here's the point I want to make. They rushed four 17 times in that game. Now, there's four-man rushes and four-man rushes, but a lot of those were four zeros, meaning there was no particular deception on the play. So they had 17 rushes with four men, 240 yards, 14.1 per play. They threw four against four-man pressure. Unacceptable. I think we'll agree. <laughs> uh, so they need to yeah, do something absolutely. a little different. It was a very vanilla defense. It was it was what I thought really changed things in the second half, and it's something I, I think they will adjust on, especially against Cleveland. But it's unfortunate because I think the Chiefs really dictated that whole that whole scenario. And if Wink is probably kicking himself right now, looking at this film, and just looking at the fact that they could have come up with some more, as you as you said, deceptive looks. And come up with some more creative looks to, I think, give Mahomes more to work, uh, more to uh, decipher at the line scrimmage. Yeah, you're you're right on the money on the second half here. Is that they used six deceptive blitzes in the second half? Unfortunately, twice of the times they ran deception, it was a seven-zero pass rush with three blitzers that went for the the 14-yard touchdown to McCoy on the screen pass, and one of the others was a five-zero where they had a double blitz. And that was the screen pass that went for the game ceiling play. So they did a fair amount of this. And they actually had 24 individual blitzers in the game, which is a lot. 
Um, but the, it's just when they ran four-man pressure, which was still a lot as a percentage of the of the total plays, they really weren't effective. They've been they've been extremely right. effective for the season on six and seven-man pressure in particular. So they've been really terrific at that. And even I believe it's aside from oh no before the play where they gave up the touchdown on the seven-man pressure on sixes and sevens for the years they've given up 25 yards on 14 plays. So that's a pretty darn good, uh, you know, yards per play average, one point six ish or whatever that is. So right. anyway, that, that's exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the only other guy I want to talk about was Ferguson. Obviously, had a very weak play, going inside, trapped by Schwartz, got the got the right side freed from McCoy's twenty five yard run, but his nine snaps and he was in for the eighty three yard play as well. They gave up 163 yards, 18.1 yards per play. A lot of freakish numbers in this game, but that was one of the ones that stood out. <laughs> I mean, that's just a, a tremendous indictment against him, right? But yes. <laughs> I wonder if it's just bad luck as well. And it's probably it's probably a little bit of both. But it just happened to work <laughs> out that those were the snaps that they yeah. just absolutely dominated on. Well, here's the problem. Even if you use the Jim Brown method, you said, we'll take away the 83-yard play, and you're down to 80 yards on eight plays. Well, that's still terrible. We'll take away the 25-yard play. Well, you're down to 55 yards on seven <laughs> plays, and that's still not good. <laughs> that's the funny thing is you're, uh, you, you, know, you can't make that work, not, not, how, not any way easily. He didn't generate any pressure. I mean, he really did have a bad game. But uh, yeah, they have the alternative for him is just to send him back to the pine and let him take a couple more weeks. Obviously, be coached up, also be strengthened up, you know, over the course mm-hmm. of the rest of the season and just limit his snaps some for that. Unfortunately, this was a game I thought he could have played the run exceptionally if he'd used his bull rush in this game. I would have thought that would have been an effective way to kind of drive some penetration, you know, with a bull rush. Certainly that's one way to hold the edge when you have to kind of two gap that opponent. But if you're always trying to swim by him or duck by him or whatever, that's when you get burned for the for the loss of the edge. Yeah, exactly. You you have to use your physical ability, and I mean that's that's kind of surprising that that's how you approach things. I don't know if, he, if he's just thinking too much, or if this is just mm-hmm. kind of he just got kind of lost in the lights out there. There weren't any lights, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I um, think. Yeah, I think that might have been it. And to your point, if, if they need to just take a step back with him and assess the situation, because he should be playing the run pretty well, because that's something he does bring to the table, and I think it's disappointing that he didn't set the edge well. And, and just in general, uh, I'm not totally surprised about the lack of pressures, uh, but I am surprised and it's disappointing that he didn't do a better job of at least playing the, uh, the edge. All right. Well, we've talked a little bit about the run in what we've just talked about, about Ferguson, but I did want to touch on that because the chiefs ran very effectively in this game, obviously. And in the, yeah, you really have to take out kneels because they affect particularly on a game basis where they had a couple of kneels so significantly. But the Chiefs ran 24 times for 142 yards when I take out those two kneels. is 5.9 yards per rush. That is so unacceptable and so unravens-like, particularly after allowing 41 yards in those first two games. Uh, you really got inspected at one play at a time, I think. Yeah, that's what stood out the most to me, beyond everything that you can evaluate in this defensive game is the inability to handle the run every which way you can think of. I mean, the perimeter runs really killed them, mm-hmm. and those went for, as, to your point, I mean, if you get if they give up the run in any scenarios in the past or 
you know, Ravens like defenses that have given up perimeter runs, it's going for about 10 yards or, or, or whatever, right? It's not mm-hmm. going for 20 plus yards every time. You're not waiting for Mar- Marlon Humphrey and Earl Thomas to clean up those tackles. It's there's linebackers that can get to the edge. And it just seemed like repeatedly that the inside backers, the outside backers just couldn't get to the edge in time. I don't know if they were just kind of caught in, uh, in washes or what, but those runs were, were, to your point, it's unacceptable, but also the degree in which they got gashed in this game. And, and you're talking about, and look, McCoy still got some juice left, mm-hmm. and he looked good out there. But, I mean, if you're down to, you know, Damian Williams is out of this game, they're down to Daryl Williams ripping off runs on them. It's not yeah. like they were getting run on by David Johnson. Like, they, they no. if David Johnson the week before had those runs and those totals, you might have been able to give them a pass. It just, uh, yeah, I think the scheme really tore them up to some extent, all that pre-snap misdirection. But there, there's, no, there's still no excuse. That, that's, that's, you're right. And that's right. what was so shocking in this game is how bad they were getting run on, but also how, how explosive those runs were. Right. I ask people to go to the article if you want to detail on the runs. But one of the things that I noted, I have all six of the runs with eight-plus yards, one of the things I really noted is I didn't think it was really at all the DTNT stuff. So those guys were in there, and it was mostly Williams and Pierce playing together. There's a little bit of Wormley in there as well. But those guys were mostly doing their job and holding their ground. They didn't, they didn't get badly beaten. Maybe on one of the ones that was a cutback for seven or eight yards, for eight yards, they might have gotten beaten. But they didn't. it really wasn't there. It was the inside linebackers not knowing exactly what they're doing, and the outside linebacker's not holding the edge. Yeah, and you and I were talking before the podcast. I mean, I noted Ken Young, and not to pick on Ken Young, but because it was, I think, a team-wide issue, but there was a couple of plays, specifically a run that McCoy had off the strong side, I think, in the third quarter, and uh, I don't know. He had a couple, so it's kind of hard to keep track of mm-hmm. which exact one did Ken Young look like a guy that was totally confused. He, he starts inside... McCoy, I think, got him to come inside a bit. He tried to mirror McCoy, and then McCoy just burst to the edge, and the edge guy lost contain. By that point, Ken Young is, it doesn't matter how fast you are, because you've lost multiple steps, and you Mm -hmm. are fighting through contact. So you're already at a disadvantage just from an angle standpoint, just pure angles, right? So that's a play, if you think back to Ray in his heyday, he's, he's, and Ray's Ray, but I'm just talking about the angle pursuit and, and being able to stay on a line and get to that edge and he just needs to make those decisions way quicker or in this case and it's happened a couple of times this year i feel like he's just uh, he's just not seeing it quick enough and that's where they might be missing mosley right now yeah uh, with some of these plays yeah i mean i i completely agree with that and and with young it's it's really okay to have one guy in the middle of your defense who's just a pure gambler you know, if he if he wants to gamble almost every play, shoot a gap, always play downhill, and you've got C.J. Mosley playing next to him who can take coverage responsibilities even if they're not his exact strongest suit. You know, Mosley can also play the run well, but Mosley can also sniff out the screen. And Mosley can also figure out where the runner is going and diagnose that while you take a gamble on a gap with a guy like Young or a guy like Owasso or a guy like Board. But I just named all of the Ravens inside linebackers and you can't have all of those guys be pure downhill players. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a fair point. Right now, there's a, a lack of there's a lack of complementary football right now between mm-hmm. those guys. It seems like they all kind of have the same skill set, the same physical ability. I think Wanwas has clearly separated himself and 
he's been very good all, all season. This, this game, notwithstanding, I think he still made some plays. Uh, he had a couple bad breaks, but I think they're getting killed right now when they have two linebackers out on the field. And the second guy just isn't, hasn't been holding his end, and, and a lot of it's young. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not as uh, I'm not as willing to give Owasso a, a pass for his play so far this year. I thought he was he was good against Miami. I think he's really been bad the last two games, and he's he's missed some tackles. That hasn't been good, uh, but he's been really bad in coverage, and that's yes. what killed him against the Cardinals, and it killed him in this game uh, as well. It just none of the inside linebackers know how to play zone behind them. They don't. They cannot impact a pass behind them unless they have Levine on the field. At that second, at that you know second linebacker spot, they don't have anybody in the middle of the field who can really affect the pass behind him. Yeah, let me redact my point. The coverage has been awful. Uh, the, the, <laughs> that that you're 100 right on, and I've tweeted that out because it's driven me crazy. Um, I, the pursuit and just the uh, ability to, I guess, be physical, play the run. I think he's he has done okay there. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's just no sense of drops, no sense of carrying. I mean, you saw in the, this game. I mean. Have a guy like Kelsey out there, you can't give him that much space. So, just not to be, just not having that awareness. They, they mentioned before, I'm using four kid and my and stuff that I've written, like being lost in space. It seems like yeah. that's what's going on uh, with their coverage. So, yeah, 100% the zone coverages they've struggled in. And, you know, there's a lot. They got eaten up last week on the, in the middle of the field. The Chiefs did the same thing. And I just want to point out one thing specifically. All that pre-snap movement, those fakes on the games they played with Hardman, having them go back and forth and back and forth, that fake jet sweep action, that was to get those linebackers to move horizontally. And then all of a sudden it was a free-for-all. And, and then and that was the game. That was the game to get Kelsey open. That was the game, that was the game to get Watkins open mm-hmm. over the middle. If you look at the Chiefs and the way they played in this game, yes, they hit on big plays, but they also did a great job of understanding the spaces that they wanted to hit on in the middle of the field because they saw that on film. Well, it's like Iowa and Kansas out there that you have <laughs> to shoot for. So, they have, so it's a pretty good area, I agree. Um, you know, the, the thing it reminds me of is when we walk our dog outside. And I hate to use this with a human analogy, but I'm going to take that risk here. So in our neighborhood, there's a lot of like trees and foliage and whatnot. So somebody goes, dog goes around the corner and, and the dogs can't see anymore. They immediately stop barking. It's like that dog doesn't exist anymore. And I, it's almost like I feel that way about the inside linebackers that once they, once their guy moves past like one step back, they'll take in zone to pass him off. Then he's not their responsibility anymore. And, and they're worried back about downhill. And it's just, I, I, it drives me bananas to, to, to see that kind of thing. The other thing, of course, with Owasso was the, you know, the ball went right through his hands for the 36-yard pickup. So he, he was in coverage in approximately the proper space. It was about 29 yards downfield where the catch was made. He leaped in front of the ball. Ball went right through his hands. He should have intercepted it. But at worst, he should have deflected it and well, right, dropped it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Right. So that that, again, is another example of, of, again, getting back to not putting your hands up to deflect deflect the ball, not doing these little things that are just football IQ plays that they they missed and have missed. I think the first especially it's come up that showed up the last two weeks. The Miami game was kind of a joke in that sense. But, you know, now that the competitions uh, ratcheted up. You've seen these plays, I think, get magnified or the lack of these, the lack of making these plays. But yeah, I, I agree. 
Um, you got to make a – you can't that, – that, that needs to be a better play. He's got control over it just in terms of preventing a completion. So um, you have to hope to finish it off going forward. Right. That was just one of three real botched turnover opportunities. Averett fall, failed to fall on that fumble on the very first drive. You know, you can say it didn't end up costing him, but it cost him some additional defensive snaps. They would have gotten the ball further upfield. They scored anyway, so it's hard to kind of really put a value on what was lost there. But failing in the opportunity is failing in the opportunity. And then, of course, the car interception negated by that Jefferson DPI. People are arguing about the call, but I'm more arguing about the fact that there was some sort of flag. So maybe it should have been illegal contact. Because I think downfield. that was it. Yeah, yeah, I think they just screwed up on applying pass interference to the, mm-hmm. to the penalty. But uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, to me, it was, uh, I think it was very ticky tacky at that point. How many times do you see those plays called, especially when it's not involving, it's not involving the two guys that were in, in the, in the, in the middle of the play. I mean, it was, it wasn't involving the direct participants, I guess. So, right. It was a yeah. weird situation because both those receivers were, were too close to each other. So something was wrong with that pattern. Or somebody had already uh, mis- uh, messed up the timing on it, maybe a defensive player. But for, for whatever reason, those two guys were in the same area, and they never really should be. And, right. And then, you know, to have the ball come in, I guess, you know, how are you going to know who it's really intended for? And then you throw a flag and you throw a flag. I'm, I, I'm, I'm more forgiving of the, of the officials in that particular situation. They had worse mistakes in the game. I still don't think this game really came down to officiating. I think there were some mistakes both ways, but... Um, you know, it, it's just a missed opportunity for the Ravens to not not get that interception. I think we can just we can leave let ourselves be upset about that and and get past into the fifth stage on accepting what the officiating was in this game. Yeah, and it's the think the bottom line. If you want to beat Kansas City and the Patriots, and we've said this over and over again, you have to make these plays on the road. You just have to. Like, there's no excuse. Uh, you have to come away with at least two turnovers. That's something that I thought was a very decent possibility. Mahomes is a guy who has had times where he's turned the ball over. It's few, and it's gotten way better since he came out of college. Uh, you look at the Rams game last year, I think, is a perfect example. You know, a lot of turnovers in that game. So it's possible, and there were chances for that. Uh, but they didn't cash in, and, and you can't expect a win on the road if you don't get any turnovers against a team like that. Yeah, I agree. It's very hard to steal possessions. Then if it's just a, a slugfest of one juggernaut going at the other with, with no turnovers, then... You know, things like crowd noise come into play where it becomes much harder to run your no huddle when you're Lamar Jackson than it is for Mahomes. And just the other factors start to pile up against a team that's not doing it. Because I agree that you, you need turnovers on the road. It's a, it's a big deal. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, I think, if there, are there any individual performances that you'd like to point out, Deb? I pretty much got to all my guys in the, in the topics we've been talking about so far. Yeah, so uh, before Humphrey got knocked out of the game, I thought he played another good game. And, and really what stood out to me was his pursuit sideline to sideline. This guy's throwing his body around. He's so physical. He's he's out there just uh, – he's, he's tackling guys like a linebacker. Maybe they need to play him at linebacker, Ken. Maybe that's the solution. <laughs> so they can take oh. Humphrey and just clone him everywhere. Say it um, ain't so. That, I, I, don't, I don't doubt that he <laughs> could be better, but – and. I, I cringe every time I see the amount of contact he's willing to put up. But if you remember the three-yard loss Murray had in the previous game against Arizona, you know he ran through the shoulders and head of the right tackle. And then he, the the, yeah. the running back tried to stand him up, 
And he just he whisked him aside like he wasn't even there. He actually he actually just stood him up and then walked right past him. And Murray just wanted no part of him, walked out of bounds. But it, it's a he's a very physical player, and he needs to take some Brandon Carr playbook, just the same way that Griffin is supposed to be the mentor for for Jackson. Maybe Carr needs to mentor Humphrey about taking a little bit less contact, taking a little bit less injury risk, given who he is. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I mean, this is kind of the type of player he is in his his game, but. Uh, yeah, it's still it's it's something to see, and it's it's something that fires the team up too, right? So I think that's um, the other thing that really uh, stood out. And I think we brought up Chuck Clark at the beginning, um, and I think you know just I'd like to see more of him out there, and and just some more opportunities for him. So I thought he played well, like you said in the beginning, and then they kind of just they had to they had to make adjustments on the fly with their personnel. Okay, now I know we have a mailbag question coming on this, so I want to hop in now with that because Chuck Clark comes up in this, and one and and Deshaun Elliott is also in this. Is how do we get by some of the inside linebacker problems, and how do we how do we uh, get Deshaun Elliott and people like that more on the field? I think we're at a point right now where they really need to consider moving the green dot, and it, mm-hmm. it uh, with with Owasso, he's just too much of a liability in coverage. And unfortunately, this won't help them all that many downs, but it'll help them in two situations. It'll help them on third and long situations where they want to get the quarter in to replace him. And that could be Chuck Clark. It could be Elliott. could be uh, either of those players, at least, to go with Levine. And the other possibility is you could, uh, if you if you have the green dot with Jefferson, you can also get him in in game situations when you have a significant lead. 17 in the third quarter, you know, 14 in the fourth quarter kind of thing where the opponent is pretty much going to pass every down. They can't afford to run much. You can go ahead and play the play the quarter every snap at that point. And and I would prefer that to what's going on right now. I just think that the what they're what they're dealing with with the Wasso is just it's it's too much of a coverage liability to keep going with it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they've got to mix it up and they've got to try some different things. And right now, uh they, they teams are exploiting that weakness. They're just targeting it. And I, I, you're going to see it next week, right? So I don't know how much the Browns can exploit it with Njoku being out, but you're going to see Landry, for example. That's exactly you're gonna it. See, I mean, I just can see that. I can picture that happening next week. So I would like to see some sort of, I guess, combination of Levine and or Elliott get more reps inside and, and just try to, to – to, um, Try to give these guys an opportunity to take a step back. Maybe that's a good thing for Kenny Young, for example, uh, going forward. I think so. Yeah, I agree with you with Anwasu and as well as with Anwasu. Like they really need to address this issue. And I, look, the way Harbaugh came across in this press uh, in his uh, press conference today, I think it is going to be addressed. There's rarely instances in which he calls out certain groups, and he did it today. Uh, so I think this is something they understand needs to be uh, handled. Okay, well, as it turns out, the Browns have an entirely mediocre tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones, as their guy who will be taking most of their snaps. He's also a big guy, 6'5", not like all tight ends aren't, but he's got 47 career catches in 27 games. So he's not anybody who's lighting up the whole uh, league or anything. He is definitely the kind of guy who could have a career game against <laughs> a, pair of, a pair of inside linebackers, which is really sad to say, but that's... Uh, that's unfortunately where we are. So I hope that does not occur. I hope they do do some things to, to uh, address things. And it just seems like based on what I'm hearing about 
Jefferson having to be the one that explains things to Thomas, I think it makes sense for Jefferson to take over this defense uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, uh, it's kind of concerning, right? I mean, we're in week four now that this is this is still going on that these that these communication issues still haven't been ironed out. All right, well, Josh, take us uh, through what do we yeah. have in the mailbag? All right, we got a busy mailbag, a lot of offensive questions that I'm going to push till tomorrow's show when we talk a lot about the offense for the most part. Uh, but we've got plenty to ask about and dig into some more on the defense. Film Study Mailbag is your chance to steer the show. You can get your questions in using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag or commenting over on filmstudyravens.com. All right, first one up. Garnett is wondering, did Wink dial up too many heavy blitzes, which led us to uh, man-to-man mismatches? I, I, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this on the show already. Obviously, the couple of screen plays were huge second-half plays that burned the blitz. Uh you know, they, they they got beaten other times, like the 36-yard play was just a standard four-man blitz with, with the uh, strong side linebacker dropping. So, you know, I think it was a mix of things. Uh, I, I don't think it was any um, particular thing. Obviously, the screen passes were frustrating. Anything you want to say about it specifically, uh, Dev? No, to be honest with you, uh, I thought they kind of dialed down uh, some of the more well, we saw more cover zero, I think, in last year's game, frankly. Mm-hmm. They just took some all-out shots, and I think they they really didn't do as much of that. And I, I would have preferred to see that. I understand, though, where they were challenged with, you know, you lose Humphrey for a few, you know, for that stretch, and, and they just had to kind of scramble with the personnel you had. So I, I don't think that was really the issue uh, as much as I think it's some of the other stuff you and I talked about, which is just not even being in the right place, not being in the right position, not understanding the plays that you're having to defend. Like you said, the screens really got them. The underneath, we didn't even talk about this, but the backs killed them underneath just on these little nickel and dime throws, dump offs in which they're able to gain nine, 10 yards pretty easily. So there was a lot of other stuff, I think, where that those types of plays hurt them more than down the field just taking some gambles with their pressures and then not being able to handle one-on-one coverage. All right. Uh, Jack is wondering, can you explain why we haven't seen Earl Thomas involved in big stops like we did with Weddle last year? Are teams running plays away from him? Because it doesn't seem like he's around the ball much. Okay, there's a couple of things going on. Obviously, Thomas had the one breakdown in this game that, that contributed to the 83-yard play. If you look at where Thomas plays, he plays one of the highest single highs in the whole league. He plays way downfield. That's not what Weddle did. Weddle loved being this roving quarterback of the defense. In fact, he might have loved it too much to not be assigned the back end. He didn't have any interceptions his last year in Baltimore. So I look for Thomas Moore to put stamp down a large footprint on the field where plays aren't going to be made. Then I look for him to make the plays directly himself. Yeah, actually, that's something that's come up a couple of times um, from fans. You know, you don't see Earl Thomas making plays. Well, he's doing his job then because he's not he, his job is to add layer of protection and coverage. So things aren't going over his head or, or whoever the cornerbacks are that he's supporting in coverage. So I think he's he's been around the ball, though. That being said, there's a couple of times he's, you know, he's been around the ball. Um, and, and I think he's he still made some plays. So I, I can't I don't know if I totally agree that he hasn't been around the ball. He hasn't been around the ball like Weddle, to your point. But that's just not his role. And mm-hmm. I think you need more, if anything, from the other guys, um, and including Jefferson, for that matter, to, to be around the ball more. 
All right, so and that's something you're not going to see on the TV broadcast because the TV broadcast is following the ball. If he's doing his job, they're not throwing the ball near him. Yeah, that's right. You, exactly. You, you, you get safety play. Safeties are the ghosts of the broadcast video. In fact, it's one of the real troubles of defensive charting is getting those right. Gotcha. All right, uh, Daniel was wondering about any, if you have any thoughts on the Ravens' struggle with the uh, running back coverage. Do you want to start, Dev? Yeah, uh, that's actually, I guess that segues nicely from what, what I just brought up, is that it, it really was poor in this game, and the Chiefs exploited it. At times, there were guys wide open. Sometimes, though, in games like this, when you have deep threats to worry about, that's kind of part of it. You're just going to have some issues with backs coming out of the backfield, and that's just a tactical mismatch or tactical advantage the opponent will have because of the type of coverage you're playing, but... I think they did. They did struggle. They they have struggled. Um, it's been a combination of of the backs, tight ends, et cetera. Just that entire intermediate area, just being a place that people have exploited. Yeah, I, I agree. Kansas City eight for eight in this game for seventy three yards to the running backs. Williams caught five of those. McCoy three. So it was pretty much happening all game. And, and was, to your point, the screens were one thing. Those well designed mm-hmm. screens, but you also just had easy dump offs and the chiefs were really smart about taking those that 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 really showed to me mahomes has progressed because he was playing a tom brady type of game out there yeah i i mean i i, I definitely agree and what the, here's another problem though is that when you've got these downhill linebackers that's something they should be doing very well you know that, covering a running back who's always in front of you i mean that's ideal but help yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're too, they're, they're drops in terms of if they're dropping too far downfield to help out in the deep coverage, I, I don't know if that's the, the issue right now. And they're just, again, not in the right spots and they're not reacting fast enough. It, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, but to your point, you're not making, you're not making any plays. It's kind of, it's kind of strange given the speed and the, again, I think, Again, these linebackers, what they showed in against preseason, but you saw a lot more active pursuit on the on ball carriers, um, sideline to sideline, than we we've seen so far. At least, especially the last two games in particular. All right, um, all right. Let's talk a little bit more about that with uh, with Clark and Jefferson struggling in coverage and tackling. Is the op- now an opportunity for Deshaun Elliott to see snaps alongside Earl? Okay, so for starters, I don't believe Clark is really struggling. I think he's played pretty damn well, so I, I wouldn't put him in that category. Jefferson has struggled in a, in a couple different phases of the game, including some missed tackles. Uh, if if Tony Jefferson cannot right the ship defensively, I mean, the Ravens are in are in a hell, hell of a lot of trouble. So we've got to at least hope that that's going to happen. And I think it probably will. He's still a, a young enough guy, and he's, he's played effectively. I think he'll be, you know, in the past, I think he'll be fine. Uh, so it really comes down to how do you get Deshaun Elliott more snaps? We talked a little bit about that, and, and maybe getting him in a quarter package would be my way to do it. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't know. It's easy to say and look at a guy like Elliott physically and just his skill set and say, let's just plug him in. And I, I don't know if it's that simple. I think they have to figure out, is he even able to, to handle his assignments out mm-hmm. there? You already have like three or four guys that are clearly – confused and don't know what they're doing as is so do you want to add to that to, to that i mean i think it'd be one thing if they could pluck a veteran off the, the bench that understands that but i think it's going to be 
I think to, my point is is that sure it could work, but it could also fail miserably, and I I think they understand that. Um, he's someone I see if you can get some creative packages together in certain uh, down and distance scenarios, maybe you know third and longs, just try to test him out, see what he'll what he what he'll do, and then go from there. Kind of keep him in a very limited role, and then if he plays well, then expand that role out. Yeah, that's 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 a good possibility. Also, being quicker to pull the trigger when you're up by 20 against a bad team might get him some snaps in a in a right. situation like that. That would at least that would at least be a Good thing. And the Ravens should have some opportunities like that playing in the same division with the Bengals and, you know, playing some of the other opponents they have for the year. Uh, anyway, I, I, I think we've knocked on that enough. All right. Um, digging through here for some stuff that you guys haven't uh, gotten into yet. You've covered most of this. But uh, here's one question who's wondering, Ken, when you do your grade in, how do you deal with BS penalties in the defense performance? You know, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I usually mention if I think they're ticky-tack. And and I don't – since I'm not scoring anybody directly the way I score offensive line play, there's not the need to be exacting about that. So, I, you know, nobody's getting a you know a grade of 78 for me on defense, for example. But but on the offensive line, I, I do look at ticky-tack penalties, and sometimes I say, okay – I, th- I don't think this was a good call. And then I give the reader the option of either you can call that a holding like they did, or you can realize it was probably just a pressure, in which case his grade would have been this. But that's that would be the way I do it. All right. Um, we've got a few Jalen Ramsey questions in here. Wondering, um, basically, the, it seems like the question is, Earl Thomas uh, seems to be a slow adjustment into it. If they traded for a guy like Jalen Ramsey, is that is that also a slow uh, learning curve to get into the Ravens defense. Do I start, Dev? Uh, it could be. I, I think it's two different positions, of course. So you can't compare Thomas and his responsibility to what a Jalen Ramsey would have to do. And I think scheme-wise, they run a lot of those coverages, right? They run a lot of cover one, cover three. They ask their corners to press. Uh, I think he would. I think he would acclimate himself. Uh, pretty quickly it's hard to say if every player is different and then you can't say for sure but Ramsey's also a smart guy so I think he he could play and, and be effective pretty quickly uh, maybe it'll take a couple games but eventually I think he would he would fit in what do you think though Ken I know you have some yeah. thoughts on it well we, we can talk about value but the the outside as an outside corner I think that's probably the easiest position on the defense to slip somebody in if you're having to read keys at defensive tackle nose tackle if you're having to you know, understand what your responsibilities are at inside linebacker or at safety for that matter, much more difficult. Outside corner, easiest play. Slot corner, much harder, for example. All right. I totally agree with that. Well, let's talk about the prospect and value of this because fans have suddenly decided on the internet that Jalen Ramsey is the savior the Ravens defense needs. Is that what the Ravens need and is it worth the rumor that was this weekend, it was a first round pick, a second round pick and uh, Hayden Hurst. Would you do this? Something like that. Okay. So why don't we, have, are, are you in favor of that kind of a package for Ramsey? Cause if you are, you could take the pro side and I'll take the anti side. Otherwise we got to decide who takes the pro. I, I could take the pro side. I'm fine with it. I'm not, uh, I'm not a hundred percent pound the table saying make the tail, make the trade tomorrow, but I could see the benefit. I don't think it's because they need him to cure their defense right now, though. I think it has to do with the player. 
and what you're getting in return. And I think, you know, Ramsey arguably is the best corner in football. Do I think he's Drell Revis in his prime, who's going to just influence games like Dion Drell Revis? That's, you know, kind of, you can argue that a little bit one way or the other. I don't think he's at that level, but I do think it's legitimate that he is the best and can really swing things and play isolation corner for you and create a lot of opportunities uh, for sure. I think defensively he can, uh, I mean, you just look at the track record that Jacksonville has had uh, with him, you know, give or take the last, you know, last season and this season, you could argue he hasn't had that same impact. But um, the point is, is I think he is worth that level of compensation. Um, the tricky thing is, of course, the contract and, you know, being able to satisfy him on a financial state from financial standpoint. But, you know, player to player, I think when you give up picks, I, I think the big thing for me is, um, can you still draft? And, and can you still have enough picks that you hit on to overcome the picks that you lose for a certain player? And also, you know, if you're picking in the late 20s in the first round, like the Ravens usually do, you know, if you're just looking at that first round pick for Ramsey, what's the value on that, um, if that makes sense? So I'm looking at it as, I think for that player, I'm, I'm willing to, to make that exception. Okay, so I, here's my ante, and I'm going to be pretty strong about this. Ramsey is a 29-game rental. He has 13 games left this season. He has 16 games next season. If it was conditional that he would sign an extension, you would still be doing it at the market value for that additional time, plus maybe a little sweetener for Ramsey to give up his freedom. And, you know, he's already acting like he doesn't appreciate the – millions and millions of dollars he has made because of the collecting collective bargaining agreement and acting like he's in chains in Jacksonville and he wants out of there. He's going to make $17 million over the remainder of his 29 games in Jacksonville, if that's where he stays. If the, if the Ravens got him, I think to the Ravens, he could be worth $30 million over that period. That $13 million is as much draft value as I want to give away. And I have to figure out how to align what those picks are worth. But basically, I want to be, be able to beat the cap by 13 million. I'm, then I'm, I'm only willing to give up draft picks that are worth 13 million of beating the cap. Mm-hmm. And we have a four-year period right now where Lamar Jackson is good. That's not a one-year period; it's a four-year period. So make sure you don't give away all of your draft capital that comes at the end of the first year of this period. That's going to help you for three more, because they're really talking about giving away 2020 picks, not 2021. Although there might be something tossed in for 2021, but it's really 2020 pick value. Now I'm going to take this one step further. The Ravens are currently a 23 to one shot by the best available price on odds checkers. That that looks at a multitude of online books. So basically what the online futures markets are telling me is there's about a 4% chance the Ravens will win the Super Bowl based on what gambling markets tell me. I don't think getting Jalen Ramsey raises that to six and a half percent. So this isn't the the Messiah we're trading for in terms of his ability to bring the Ravens a sure Super Bowl or anything. It's still a tremendous crapshoot. So all I say in that, I'm not denying there's an increase in the chance of them winning the Super Bowl. What I'm going to say is I don't think that's as valuable as a lot of people would lead you to believe. It's a crapshoot either way, draft or getting Ramsey. Yeah, just two quick, I guess, closing points. Um... I agree with the overall premise. Like, don't make this trade because you think it's going to increase your chances to win the Super Bowl. I think it's more 
it's a trade that you make because you're looking at the big picture of that secondary, the entirety of the defense, and can he be a guy that you build around? I think that's the value. But in this particular scenario, uh, we, we, we played it as pro-con versus this exact compensation package. I would try to get, avoid multiple ones, which I've heard has been thrown out, or a one-two combo. I'd, if it came down to it, like a one and a three, and then you, you get a pick back, I think that's where I'm at with it, and I'm more comfortable with that. So if it's multiple picks, you still get a pick back. And now we're talking. I think that could be something that I could warm up to. All right. So that, that might get the cost down, the total cost, into maybe a mid-first. And we could talk about that. I mean, obviously, they'd be giving up probably on Hayden Hurst, from what I've heard, uh, would, be the, would be the player. And that's obviously dealing from a position of strength. But it also will open up a weakness on the Ravens in terms of being short a tight end that's part of their offense in a significant way from a blocking perspective. Right. No, absolutely. And plus, it's a tough thing to make a trade like this mid-season. To your point, you have Hurst installed. It's not a small thing. I think people are people think about it like it's Madden. Sometimes it's not. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't just go. Okay, you've got a, an extra tight end that that is good. You have Andrews. It's not like that. They have a certain role designated for Hurst in this offense. You saw the value of him even in this game. Yeah, he didn't make any of those catches, but he was open and he was going to be a big part of that game. Those were plays Lamar was not able to hit on, but he got open. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's things you have to consider uh, in, in the learning curve and, and the way that Ramsey can fit into the scheme. We, we wouldn't know any of those variables right now. Right. I, I, it is. It really is. You're unfitting that player. It might be more difficult from fitting Ramsey in on the outside at corner, which I actually think would, would not be that difficult. I think his, in his ability to play man is not going to be too much impacted by what color uniform he's wearing. Whereas Roman's scheme may actually be impacted by losing hers. Yep, that's a good point for sure. So, so oh, yeah. now, now Hurst would be Hurst is one of our three tight ends that are is actively in the game. You think rotating two guys instead of three, or you think that doesn't allow you to leave two on the field as much if you well, lose they, Hurst? First of all, they they sometimes use three. And so in a 0-32 formations, when they're, when they're playing their jumbo at the goal line, they're using three tight ends and a fullback. So they need to have somebody. But if, but if, they're, if they're at other places on the field, it's usually two tight ends, not usually um, uh, you know, three. But maybe they figure they could get Ricard in. But remember, Ricard now has defensive line responsibilities. It's, just, it's, a, it's a fairly tangled plate of spaghetti to get her snaps assigned out to the remainder of the active um, game day roster as is. Gotcha. Understand. Um, all right. I I said we well we can close out the mailbag. I said the mailbag was only going to be defense, but I do since we've got Dev want to give you the opportunity to talk about the offensive side of the game. If there was anything there that was bugging you or you want to talk about whether it's uh, the aggressiveness of Harbaugh or going for it on uh, for the two point conversions, that's kind of special team, so we can throw that in here on either side <laughs> of the ball. Oh, beautiful. So we can t- we can cover all three phases. You can cover, that. hey, what, whatever you'd like to talk about to help your uh, your grieving process get through this game. <laughs> well, let me start with a couple of just offensive observations, and then I'll get into these decisions that Harbaugh made. Uh, one thing, I think people, and I've seen a lot of this reaction that, you know, the Chiefs' defense is awful, and God, I mean, Lamar missed so many throws. I mean, there was a lot of tight coverage in this game, and I'm not saying he didn't miss throws. He did. 
But the Ravens were very aggressive on offense. There were a lot of shots taken, especially in the first half of the game. A lot of vertical routes. I don't know if that was the best approach. I mean, personally, I think, you know, you kind of had a good thing going with the run game. But I, I get it. I mean, sometimes the coverage dictates that. So I just want to say for people out there, I think Breland and, you know, obviously Tyron Matthew, these are, these are some good players on the back end that the Chiefs have. And I think they're going to be pretty good all season. This is not the same Chiefs defense from last season. And I do th- I think the tight coverage was kind of um, taken for granted that the Chiefs had out there. That's probably the big thing I saw in offense. And um, But in, in regards to um, the analytics part of it, you know, the first decision that Harbaugh made uh, going for two, that was probably more confusing for me, or not confusing, but just I, I was kind of like, wow, okay, um, than, than it was the second two-point conversion attempt. So the second one, I can see the math on that for sure. I can understand you're down by nine. And then if you score two times, you're, you're up. So I totally get that one. The first one I thought, and I still don't see the value in it. I know that it all really came down to getting that penalty and getting at the one. Right. You're up by eight. I still I still didn't quite understand the value on getting those eight points up front. And then you're putting the Chiefs in a chase mode. I think the Chiefs are still going to be able to convert more, more times than not. But I get it from a philosophical standpoint and, you know, Look, I think I respect it, and ultimately I came around to it today. Uh, I don't think it was as egregious or awful or, you know, just all the things that you've seen on social media regarding these decisions, as as people have put it. And, you know, it's kind of refreshing in a way that they took this approach against a team like Kansas City because they didn't go there to, to, to play to, uh, you know, win the game. I mean, they went there to, to in, the, in the words of Herman Edwards, right? They, they went to play to win the game. They didn't play not to lose it. And, and that also was something I took away from this. But, um, Ken, you're more in the weeds on the analytics side. I know. Oh, so yeah, and that's the thing. Take it away. Yeah, I was going to cut Ken off and say, Ken, don't respond no, about no, the no, offense. No, no, no. We've, got a whole, we've got a whole show for you to break that down tomorrow with Sarah. But I do want to ask you about Harbaugh and his press conference today where he kind of went off on the fact that that game was driven by analytics, and those decisions were the, were following analytics, not necessarily gut. I'm, I'll, I'll take that one, Dev. So, I, first of all, I'm very proud of the fact that John Harbaugh made those decisions and relied on his analytics decisions, because John's not making those decisions. They're coming over the headset from his analytics guy, so he trusts them. And I think it used to be Matt Weiss was in charge of running some of the models for this. They may have broadened the group who's involved in this. I know they, they, at one time, they were not allowed to use a computer on the headset loop at all. That may have changed with those Surface machines they have, so maybe they have certain designated machines. But in any case, I thought initially that, that, that it was a little, little strange to go for two on, on, the, uh, on the down 11, but I satisfied myself by looking at the chart that it is, it's, it's actually the right move if you have a 47% chance to make that two-point conversion. So I was okay from that perspective. Yeah, all the fourth downs, math guys love going forward on fourth down. So I'm for every single one of those. Didn't have a problem with it all. They made, what, three out of four of them. So that was fine. I just love the fact that Harbaugh is knows that on whatever decisions he make, all those fourth downs and all those two-point conversion attempts, even though the, the, the decision was being made over the headset probably, and, and he was accepting the judgment of somebody else, he was going to have to defend that decision as his own and had the intellectual security to be able to go to the podium with that, make that play in game, and take the analytics advice. So I was, I was very happy 
that he's the kind of coach who would do that. Yeah, and he handled it well. You're, to your point today, he backed it up. He said they're going to continue to do it, and that that's fair. You can't at that point they have a, a approach that they're going to take. They feel strongly about it. At least they had enough gumption to say that this is how we're going to play football going forward, and and you guys can can take it or leave it. But that I, I will respect. I, I just I know there's been decisions in the past that he's made where he's been I think a little bit too aggressive, and some of that has come down to just not. Being, I think some of this just come down came down to just take points given the situation in the game. I think back to the Raiders. There was a Raiders game a few a few years ago where Derek Carr tore them up in Baltimore, and there were a couple times where they they didn't. Uh, you know, I think they ended up not going for field goals and went for fourth downs when they they could have won the game easily by just kicking those field goals. But I think in this case, if this is how the, the style is going to be, um, it's not a one game situation or a one off. Then I'm fine with it. All right. All right. Well, uh, guys, that wraps up kind of really digging into that game. As far as the defensive side, we're going to, Ken, you'll get plenty of opportunities tomorrow as we really dig into the offense. Deb, what can we plug for you? Well, right now I'm just working on some special feature projects. I had an article that I developed about Earl Thomas's impact. This was before the season. So I recommend anybody to visit my Twitter profile and read it because it kind of fills in some of the blanks we talked about today. What is Earl Thomas's value? You don't see it. It's not magnified, but I still believe his acquisition was the most important acquisition, or, or he's still got a chance to be the most impactful player for this team this season. Um, maybe that hasn't come to light just yet, but there's a lot of football left to be played. So please take a look at that and, and just keep up with me on Twitter. And I've got some stuff cooking in my head, of, of course, that <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, you know, some projects, one, that I might be working on in the future, just looking at the draft classes the last two years and how they've been so instrumental in this turnaround for the roster and the franchise. So be on the lookout for that in the future. Yeah, how, how exciting is that to have really good high draft picks who are all performing? And a lot of those picks you had, you traded down to get more draft picks and get more value and more players who are immediately producing. I'm just pointing out the whole idea of trading for Jalen Ramsey might not be the greatest idea, but we, I right. guess we've been through that. <laughs> anyway. I, I, I'm remiss I didn't say that it's, this is all for Russell Street report, but yes, just <laughs> okay. check out Russell Street. And um, no, to your point, Ken, it's been good, and, and they needed to hit on a Saints-like draft. And uh, I allude to the Saints two years ago. They were kind of in a bad spot, had an incredible draft with Kamara and all these guys that are playing well for them. The Ravens have done that. So, um, yeah, so so appreciate uh, everybody following me on Twitter and, and looking out for those things. All right, Ken, and your uh, breakdown is up on filmstudyravens.com right it now is. for the defense. Offense, I imagine you're in the middle of. Uh, we're in the middle of scoring right now. It'll be out there late tomorrow, and we have the offensive podcast tomorrow. Sarah Ellison, the guest, she was terrific last time. Wanted to switch sides of the ball, play offense this time. We're looking forward to it. She brings a passion you don't often see, and a, a lot of understanding about football, just to kind of overwhelming in that regard. She brings all her notes and retreats to her car because she has four children to, well, to do the podcast. And I'm excited about this because – if there's a game to bring Sarah on, it's this one, because she also, I think, understands John Harbaugh more than anyone else. That'll be good. That'll be good. And when we're looking at a game where a lot of people are concerned about his decisions, it'll be good to discuss that. Yeah. Dev, want to thank you for joining us uh, tonight. One of my favorite people to talk football with. In fact, we, we when we go to camp together in the past, it would always like 
cut down on my note taking because I just wanted to talk about football and various things, <laughs> things with you on the sideline. As always, my friend, it's always great. This is, uh, you know, I, I was looking forward to the game gave way more to digest and, and go through than I thought it might. And this was perfect forum to talk about a lot of topics. So I'll, I'm uh, looking forward to talking to you guys again this season. All right. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.